What I want to look at today is the Christian Sabbath. And with the scriptures open before us, just let's unite our hearts together in word of prayer, please. Father in heaven, we thank thee again for thy goodness. Thank the Lord for thy grace that finds us here together as a congregation to worship and praise thee. We praise thee, Lord, for thy day. We thank thee for this first day of the week, the Christian Sabbath. Lord, we pray that thou would help us to understand it. Thou would teach us, Lord, from thy word. Take away, Lord, even our conceptions of what it might be. And, O God, we desire, Lord, rather to learn what saith the Scriptures. And we pray, Lord, that thou might instruct us. Give us, Lord, not only the listening ear. Give us the receptive, Lord, heart, Lord. Give us, Lord, the obedient walk. I pray, Lord, that thou would do our souls good. Oh, that thou would teach us. Thou would, Lord, come by thy spirit and brood over the congregation. Lord, thou canst apply the word as it is needed to each and every heart. And I pray to that end, thou would fill us with thy spirit and with power, that I might preach as us, and thus saith the Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Tell me what the young men of England are doing on Sunday. And I will tell you the future of England, what it shall be. Those were the words of a former Prime Minister called Gladstone. What God's decrees and expects from us with regard to the Sabbath is far removed by much of what is seen today in our land. Men and women, we are in a land, we are in a generation that openly engages in the desecration of the Lord's day. And sadly... It seems that the clear lines of demarcation on this matter have been blurred as far as the people of God are concerned. And so, if we speak upon this subject, or if we seek to hold to this commandment, then we're in danger of being flouted as legalists, seeking to put people into a straitjacket. I assure you that is not my position. That is not my desire. But that which we must appreciate from the very start is that when we consider the Sabbath day, then we are looking at a part of God's law. The first commandment, we are commanded not to worship false gods. The second commandment, we're commanded not to worship God in a false way. The third commandment, we are to give reverence to His name. The fourth commandment is where God commands one day in seven to be given over to His worship and for His glory. Fourth commandment, you see, is very much a part of God's law, just as much as number six, seven, or eight. And so while God still decrees that man ought not to kill or commit adultery or steal or indeed any of the others, He also decrees we are to remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. This law was never done away with. As any of the others, we can say of the same. Just because we are saved by God's grace doesn't mean that we have... We don't have to live within the spheres of the law of God. First John 5 verse 3 says this, For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not grievous. The liberty of the gospel gives us freedom from the law as a means of gaining divine favor. It gives us a freedom from the law's penalty and from its guilt. 
It gives us a freedom to be holy. And nothing should be more pleasing to the child of God than to do those things that are pleasing to the Lord. And men and women, God's law defines what that pleasing behavior is. Yet in saying that, here is the commandment which is more inclined to be forgotten, more inclined to be broken, and to be set to the side. Has modern thinking and the way of life conditioned us into believing that the Sabbath should not be kept the way it used to be? Is it the case that to break this commandment is no longer a sin in the eyes of God? While the Sabbath has been changed from the seventh day to the first day of the week, we're looking at in due course, the principle remains the same. And it will do so until the end. God desires and lays claim upon one day in seven as a part of our week. Let us look then at what the Lord has to say about the Christian Sabbath. I want you to consider, first of all, the principle of the Sabbath. To do that, I have to take you back to Exodus chapter 20. For if we give attention to these words, and of course you get there, you'll realize it is the chapter that contains the commandments of God, those commandments that God written down upon the stone, tables of stone, then we want to note that he speaks about the importance of working here. I want you to read with me verse 9, Exodus 20 verse 9. It says, Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work. Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work. You see, it is God's intention that man should work. That man should work in order to uh, earn his livelihood. And the example was given by the Lord God himself when he created man in the Garden of Eden. What did he do? He put man in the garden. He gave it a work to do. Before sin entered into that garden, into into the world... Man was given that work. You, look, you listen to me or you can turn it to, uh, to it if you like. Genesis chapter 2 verse 15 simply says this, And the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden, of Eden to dress it and to keep it. You see the word dress it? It means to work. Adam was given a work. Adam was given a job. Adam was to work the garden. He was to dress it. He was to work it. And he was to keep it. Maintain it. Because of sin, there would be the sweat on his brow when he did work. There would be the thorns and the thistles, of course. That's an ever-present reminder of sin in this world. But man was given a work to do. It's something which is emphasized not only from creation, but it is also emphasized in the New Testament. You turn to Second Thessalonians chapter 3. In the words of verse 10, here's Paul writing to the believers in this church. He says, For even when we were with you, this we commanded you, that if any would not work, neither should we eat. For we hear that there are some which walk uh, among you disorderly, working not at all, but are busybodies. Now then, that are such, we command and exhort by our Lord Jesus Christ, that with quietness they work and eat their own bread. Our government hasn't understood that. Today you can sit at home and do nothing and get paid for doing it. That's not what the Scripture says. That's not the scriptural principle. 
For the Lord says that if any does not work, he shouldn't eat. But men and women, as work is important and something which God expects, there is a specific time given to our work, and that is six days of the week. There is to be one day in seven in which we are not to work. There is to be a coming apart from the work of the rest of the week. And so as there is no confusion, God set the example for mankind. For when he spake the word, and the world came into being, the world was created out of nothing. He did so in the space of six days. And on the seventh day, he rested. You see, if I can make reference to Exodus 20 and uh, verse 11 this time. For in six days the Lord made heaven and the earth, the sea and all that in them is, and rested the seventh day. Wherefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. He sanctified it. It means to set apart. It means to hallow. Various meanings throughout uh, the Scriptures of Truth. Of course, when we speak about our sanctification, that means that we're becoming more holy, we're more Christ-like, we hate sin more, so that it takes on that connotation. But the Lord set apart one day. He rested. The Sabbath day was sanctified. It was set apart from the others. It was hallowed. And I want you to understand that it was different from the rest. That is when he instituted the Sabbath day. It was in creation. It wasn't merely in Exodus chapter 20 in the giving of the law. For understand that this commandment begins with remember. And that little word remember suggests awareness already about this commandment even before Mount Sinai. And you want to see an example of that? You have it in practice in Exodus chapter 16 in the gathering of the manna. They weren't to gather on the Lord's day, on the Sabbath day. So what I'm saying to you is that the people understood this commandment ever before Exodus 20 because God instituted it in the work of creation. Of course, there are those things which cannot be left off on the Sabbath and which are permitted. Our shorter catechism defines them as works of necessity and of mercy, or of mercy. A work of necessity is something which cannot be done on the Saturday or left off until the Monday. A work of mercy is something which would be cruel to omit. You come with me uh, to Mark Matthew's Gospel, chapter 12, you'll see even how that is seen in practice. Matthew chapter 12, the Pharisees took issue with the Lord's disciples. They were walking through the cornfield. They plucked the ears of corn. The Lord didn't rebuke them. In fact, you'll see that he offers the definition of what it is to keep the Sabbath day holy. Verse 11, Matthew 12, and he said unto them, the problem of course as well with this man who had a a withered hand. The Lord said unto them, unto the Pharisees, What man shall there be among you that shall have one sheep? And if it fall into the pit on the Sabbath day, will he not lay hold on it and lift it out? How much then, how much then is a man better than a sheep? Wherefore, it is lawful to do well 
on the Sabbath days. You see the word well? It means rightly so as to have no room for blame. The taking of the ears of corn, the healing of the, of the man's hand on the Lord's day were both permitted. Why? Because one was a work of necessity, the other was a work of mercy. You have to eat this necessity. The ox or the ass or the sheep falling into the ditch on the Sabbath day represents a duty which calls for immediate action. Many a time we, we had a cow that went into a drain. We just didn't leave it there until the next day if it happened to be the Sabbath day. We tried to get it out there and then. It would be wrong, you see, to leave it until the next day. There would be uh, room for blame, the pointing of the finger, if that was the case. What is not a work of necessity is something that we label ourselves to be such, but could have done another day, but for our negligence. The same applies to the works of mercy. The nurses, the doctors, the life-saving emergency services are all engaged in works of mercy every day of the week, including the Sabbath. There are those works that God permits upon His day. God has ordained that we should only work six days and the other day be a day of rest. And you know, that helps us to define what the Sabbath means. And there's a lot of confusion about this. It does not mean seventh. Even though the seventh day in the Old Testament was called the Sabbath. In fact, in the Old Testament you'll come across other instances where it speaks about the Holy Sabbath. And it wasn't the Sabbath seventh day. It was a day of a feast or a holy day. The word Sabbath instead comes from a root meaning to cease. Simply put, the Sabbath is a day that stops or a day that sets the limit. It's a day of cessation. And understanding that means that we don't worship on the Saturday as the SDAs do Seventh-day Adventists. Or indeed the false religions of this world. I'm only back from the land of Nepal the land of Nepal is the only state that is a Hindu state in this world. And the Hindus worship on the Saturday. Mind you, you wouldn't know it to look at it about around the town. But that's their holy day. That's why, of course, our Reverend Thaba has a, his main service on the Saturday. He has also a, a service on the Christian Sabbath as well on the Sunday. But that's why we don't need to be given in to those things of false religions. Because the Sabbath doesn't mean seventh. And I have come across even fellas down the road in Kilkeel and they closed their garden center on the Saturday just to open it on the Sunday. And they used this as an excuse. Men and women, the word Sabbath doesn't mean seventh. Understand that. It means rest. It means cessation. And that answers any objection to referring to the first day of the week as the Christian Sabbath. The principle is that one day in seven was to be the Sabbath, a day of rest. Now we need to be careful in defining what rest means in the Scriptures. It doesn't certainly mean idleness. But it has the thought of refreshment, of enjoying the presence of God. And we can see that from the example that the Lord God set in creation. You turn to Exodus chapter 23, for example. 
and the words of verse 12. It says there, Six days shalt thou shalt do thy work, and on the seventh day thou shalt rest, that thine oxen thine ass may rest, and the son of thine handmaid and the stranger may be refreshed. Chapter 31 of Exodus, verse 17. It is a sign between me and the children of Israel forever. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. The little phrase that you may be refreshed, it gives the idea of catching one's breath. That's what the Sabbath is all about. It gives us that period to catch breath from the labors of the week, to be ready for them in the week that follows. And that is something that everybody needs, the servants, the, 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 as well as the masters, even the very animals themselves. And the context, of course, is that the animal's been worked. God knows what man needs. He designed, he made our bodies not to work seven days in a week, but he gave us this one day and seven to rest our bodies. That's why, of course, we read in Mark's Gospel, chapter 2, that the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. Many people look upon the Sabbath as a killjoy of do's and don'ts. But God hasn't given us the Sabbath to restrict or to infringe our enjoyment. But the Sabbath has been given for our benefit, for our blessing, for our rest. It is a day to devote to the Lord. It was Talmadge. Talmadge was a preacher in America of bygone age. He said this, our bodies are seven-day clocks and they need to be wound up. And if they're not wound up, they will run down into the grave. They'll run down under the grave. We're not meant to be working seven days. And you know the greatest offender of breaking the Lord's day is the minister. It's the preacher. So this is a message that comes to my heart as well as to yours. You see, the Sabbath has been given as a day for worship. It is a day to devote to the Lord who calls us to hallow it or sanctify it. Every Sabbath reminds us of the resurrection of our Savior. That's the reason why you will read of the seventh day in the Old Testament being the Sabbath. God created the world in six days, but the seventh was a cessation. But when we come into the New Testament, following the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus, the Christian Sabbath was then to become the first day of the week, and it shall be until the end of the world. Now that's evident. Don't take it from me. I want you to show it to you. That's evident from the passages where they speak of the early church. You turn, for example, to John's Gospel, chapter 20. John's Gospel, chapter 20, and you'll see here the early church is meeting on the first day of the week. John 20, verse 19 says, Then, that is, after Mary Magdalene had delivered the message what she had saw at the tomb that morning, the stone rolled away. The tomb was empty. Then, the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, no longer the seventh, but the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, came Jesus and stood in the midst and said unto them, Peace be unto you. Verse 26, And after eight days again, his disciples were within. Eight days, count it, brings you around to the next Sabbath. 
for the sake of Thomas who missed out the first Sabbath. His seat is empty. But the Lord is merciful to him. And the eighth day he comes again. And Thomas with them. He's there. He's learned this lesson. Then came Jesus, the door's been shut and stood in the midst and said, Peace be unto you. You see, the Lord was to meet with his people in succeeding works as he assembled upon the first day. That's just a little group of disciples. And Thomas is with them that second Sabbath. And notice, notice it please, that the church came together on the evening of the Sabbath. Not just the morning. Acts chapter 20, verse 7. It says, And upon the first day of the week when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul preached unto them, ready to depart on the morrow, and continued his speech until midnight. And there were many lights in the upper chamber where they were gathered together, and there sat in a window a certain young man named Eutychus being fallen into a deep sleep. And as Paul was long preaching, he sunk down with sleep and fell down from the third loft and was taken up dead. There it is again, the early church's meeting. They're meeting on the first day of the week. They're meeting on the Sunday evening. And Paul preaches on the midnight. Now you don't have to suffer that. For I'm not a long-winded preacher. I trust I'm not anyway. Men and women, I underline this. There's no apostasy here. You know a mark of apostasy in Ulster today? It's closed doors of God's house on a Sunday evening. It's people don't come out, not coming out to the house of God to worship the Lord on the Lord's Day evening. They're Sunday morning only. We a woman years ago in my ministry, I come across her in Garva actually, and she said, oh, I don't like these people, they're smooths. And I had to ask, what's a smoo? Sunday morning only. If you have a thought in your mind today that I will go to the house of God of a Sunday morning and then I'll get that over with and I'll do whatever way I like the rest of the day. Listen, men and women, not only is that not scriptural, that's popery. That's popery. And they have gone to the extent where they will encourage their people to go to the chapel of a Saturday night. Why? Because it frees up the Lord's day to go to their Gaelic match and to play their Gaelic. And if we have that same mentality that once we get to half twelve or one o'clock on the Sunday, that's it over, that's, that's popery. The early church met on the Sabbath day evening. And in doing so, we're reminded that we serve and worship a risen Savior. The tomb is empty. The third day, that was the first day of the week. We don't have to wait until Easter to remember that the Lord is risen again. Every Sabbath reminds us of that. How poignant then of, of Hebrews 10 verse 25, for it says, Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching, as you see the day of the Lord's return. We'll encourage one another to be out of the house of God, to worship the Lord. In that day that he has given to us and set apart unto us. When we meet on the Lord's day, when we keep the Sabbath day holy, we're remembering in effect the wonderful work of our redemption. 
And the fact that our blessed Savior rose again from the dead on the first day of the week, and that He's alive forevermore. The Sabbath is for the worship of the Lord. To further note that, you might consider Revelation chapter 1, verse 10. It's interesting here that the Sabbath is claimed because it says, I, that is John, was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. Heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet. It's called the Lord's Day. The Sabbath is claimed as the Lord's Day. And you know the Greek, it is more than interesting there that that term is in parallel to the phrase, the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper is not any... Supper is not any ordinary table. It is the Lord's table. It's the Lord that gives the invitation to His people to remember the Savior's death until He come. It's not the table of the free church or, or the brethren hall or somewhere else. It's the Lord's table. And the very same term is used here. It's the Lord's day. The Lord lays claim to this one day. It has replaced the seventh day. The seventh day commemorated the finished work of creation. The Christian Sabbath remembers the finished work of redemption. And God says, if you love me, keep my commandments. The question that must be asked in this sinful and Sabbath desecrating age in which we live is this. Do we love the Lord enough to keep his day a day of rest and worship? Do we love Him in practice as much as we profess to love Him in word? Let me show you here the performance on the Sabbath. The question that we're led to ask is, how are we meant to keep the Lord's Day this one day in seven? Well, the first thing that must be stated is, I must recognize that it is my obligation to seek to keep the Sabbath day holy. It's my obligation. That is what the commandment states. And rather than giving a list of do's and don'ts, as so many are prone to do, indeed, that is what the Pharisees did. And they had their man invest, invented laws. For example, they were forbidden to walk beyond a certain distance or it would be a sin. They were forbidden to uh, take the ears of corn as they saw their disciples, uh, the disciples of the Lord, walking through that cornfield. Oh, men and women, listen, the, the Word of God reminds us that the letter killeth, but the Spirit giveth life. And the Pharisees hadn't the spirit of the law of God. They were given instead to the traditions of men. And so we must be careful in saying what is right and what is wrong. We must ultimately take God's word and we must apply it to our own hearts and our own lives. And what God desires and specs from us on this day, our standards must be in accordance to God's word. And Isaiah helps us in this regard. That's why I've read, taken the time to read Isaiah chapter 58 and base this message upon even the final two verses. He exposes hypocrisy here. He exposes a mere outward ritual as being offensive to God. His argument was simple. Keeping the Sabbath holy fosters a true and spiritual worship. In verses 1 to 5, to 5 of this chapter we've read, he proves that selfish worship is worthless. The motives of the heart weren't right. 
And they talked about having their feasts and having their fasts and all the rest of it, but their motives weren't right. It wasn't acceptable unto the Lord. In verses 6 to 12, he shows that selfless worship is worthwhile. It receives God's blessing. God's favor attends true worship. What with? You read with me verses 8 and 9. Then shall thy light break forth as the morning. Thine health shall spring forth speedily. God blesses us with illumination. God blesses us with soundness of soul. Thy righteousness shall go before thee. The glory of the Lord shall be thy re-reward. He blesses us with divine protection and guidance. Verse 9, Then shalt thou call, and the Lord shall answer. He blesses us with answer to prayer. I shall cry and shall say, he shall say, here I am. We're blessed with his presence. If I take away from the midst of thee the yoke of putting forth of the finger and speaking vanity, he blesses us with fruitfulness. And the verse 13 sets the spiritual framework for observing the Sabbath while protecting the observance from formalism or ritualism. I want us to look at that. If thou turn away thy foot from the Sabbath, from doing thy pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath of delight, the holy of the Lord honorable, and shall honor him not doing thine own ways, nor finding thine own pleasure, nor speaking thine own works. First you'll recognize the holiness of the day. There's to be a turning of our foot from doing our own pleasure. It's giving the thought of reverence. The same thought, the same term is brought out in Ecclesiastes chapter 5. And the words of verse 1 simply says this, Keep thy foot when thou goest to the house of God, and be more ready to hear than to give the sacrifice of fools, for they consider not that they do evil. There's how we come to the house of God. We're to keep our foot. We're to be more ready to hear than to speak. There is to be an honoring of the Lord. We come to the house of God with a reverence, with a reverent spirit. We're to come not doing our own ways. Or if we can bring it into the context of what we're looking at this morning, we have to turn thy foot from the Sabbath, from doing thy pleasure on my holy day. Not doing our own pleasures. In other words, it's a day to be distinctive. It's a day to be different from the other six. The other days we can be engaged in our employments. We can be engaged in our recreations, which are lawful. But the Sabbath is a day of setting those things aside. Doing our own things is for the rest of the week. But doing the things of God is for the Lord's day. Those things that will lead us to worship, to honor Him, cause us to consider the God of our salvation. We are to observe the requirements of the day. Isaiah makes observing the Sabbath here a spiritual issue. It's a matter of the heart discernment. He shows the sort of spirit that we should have in, upon entering upon the Sabbath. One of self-refraining. One of a spirit of devotion. One of honoring God as the only object of worship. The spirit of joy. We're to call the Sabbath a delight. 
What does it mean at the end of the verse, not speaking thine own words? Does it mean that we're to go about in silence? No, that's not what we find or taught in the Scriptures. But rather, as God spake this world into being, the seventh day, the Old Testament Sabbath, marked that God had finished His work. He ceased from putting forth His creative word. And so to us, it means that while in other days it is legitimate, and it's right that we speak forth our business and our pleasures, the believer should not treat the Sabbath just as another day of the week. It's a day given over to the Lord. It's a day of resting in the presence of the Lord. It's a day of worship being rendered unto God, whether it's in private or whether it's in public as the congregation comes together. And if we take these guidelines of Isaiah, it will answer the many questions of what we should or should not do. Does watching a football match or a Formula One race generate worship to God? Does a visit to the shop or the shopping malls or the ice cream parlor, is that behavior that will contribute to the honor of God? Watching the television, sitting down to a film, we ask the same question. Men and women, if you can do that, if you can worship the Lord, if you can keep His day holy, then who am I to tell you different? But I can't do that. Any time that I get a chance to watch a bit of a football match throughout the other days of the week, if the referee makes a decision that I'm not pleased with, I don't suddenly break out in song, Grace has a charming sound. <laughs> oh, what a wonderful, wonderful day, day I'll never forget. No, we can't do that. And those are just but a few examples. Sabbath is also the day in which we are to remember the provisions which God has given us in the week that has passed. Take a moment to remember all that the Lord has provided for you. I'm sure that each one of us could say that God's compassions, they feel not. They're new every morning, great as I faithfulness. If we hadn't got the Sabbath as a day to remember, then we'd be in great danger of being like the nine lepers. The nine lepers that met with the Lord, they were healed, but only... I should have said ten lepers. Only one of them come back to thank the Lord. The other nine were thankless. We don't want to be a thankless people. But it is also a day in which we are to plead afresh the promises, His promises for the week that lies before us. He has promised to never leave us nor forsake us. He's a God who should supply all our need, not our greed, but all our need according to His riches and glory by Christ Jesus. And when maybe there are those difficult days ahead, and maybe I'm preaching to someone this morning, and you're not looking forward to some days this week, maybe. I don't know what, for whatever reason. Maybe it's to do with health and all of the rest of it. Men and women, we can lay hold upon the promises of God for those days. Have you to meet targets in your business or your workplace or whatever? You can lay hold upon the words of the apostle where he could say, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. I believe when we consider these things, we're beginning to see more and more why the Lord made the Sabbath for man. For his benefit. There's a writer called Henry Ward Beecher. He said this, A world without a Sabbath would be like a man without a smile. 
like a summer without flowers, like a homestead without a garden. It is the joyous day of the week. How many of God's people seem to have lost the joy of the Lord's day? It's become a drudgery. A visitor passing through a coal mine area many years ago was to notice the many mules who were grazing on the pastures along the way. And he asked the boy that he was with him, he asked the reason why this was the case. And he was told this, it is to keep them from going blind. If they're not brought up from underground at least one day in the week, then they will eventually lose their eyesight. They're brought up every Sabbath to keep them from going blind. Can I apply that? If we don't set aside the Sabbath in the way in which God is meant, and our head is to the grindstone and to the work all day long, all week long, all seven days long, then soon we will become blind to God's goodness and to His wonderful redemption which He has purchased and provided for us, and to all the provisions that we have in Christ Jesus. God forbid that that will be true of us. It is a day given to us by God for our blessing, for our benefit, for His worship. Let me just finally bring to you the promises in observing the Sabbath, because understanding the keeping of the Lord's day is not some burden, but a blessing. And Isaiah, having spoken of what God requires, and of making the Lord's day a delight, he then follows that up by speaking of the blessing in verse 14. He says, then, if you do those things, those, that spirit of verse 13, then shalt thou delight thyself in the Lord, and I will cause thee to ride upon the high places of the earth, and feed thee with the heritage of Jacob thy father, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken up. The observing of the Sabbath enables us to delight ourselves in the Lord. In everything that God is, in everything that He has done for us in the person of Christ, It is this day that testifies of the special relationship that we enjoy in Christ Jesus. We do not observe the Sabbath to keep it holy out of some bondage, but rather out of love, out of gratitude to God for what He has purchased for us old sinners, purchased in Christ even our redemption. Don't forget that. That's what the Sabbath's all about. It's a day where we can rejoice afresh in the work that Christ has accomplished on our behalf. It points us, you see, to Calvary, to the empty tomb. It points us to the throne room of God this morning where sits our high priest, whoever lives, to make intercession for his church. And because Christ finished the work of our salvation, and because he rested, then All in Christ are assured that one day when our course has been run on this earth, we too shall enter into that eternal rest. That'll be an eternal Sabbath in the presence of the Lord. You see, we have it in Hebrews chapter 4 verse 9. For it simply says, There remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God. In fact, rest there is the word Sabbath. 
You're saved this morning. How are you going to enjoy your eternal Sabbath if you don't keep the Lord's day down here? Are you delighting yourself in the Lord? In His Word? In His salvation? In His promises? They that honor the Sabbath, God has promised He will cause them to ride upon the high places. That is the grace to live above the world. To have our conversation upon heavenly things. To be superior to the men of the world. To have the power and authority in the earth. Is there powerlessness today in the church of Jesus Christ? Then we have cause to note how we're doing with this commandment of the Lord. The promise is that the covenant blessings of the Lord will be enjoyed. You see, the inheritance of Jacob that made reference to there in verse 14, it was extensive. We'll not take the time to go to Genesis 28, but it will show you there it traversed the length and the breadth of Canaan. That was the inheritance of Jacob. And the promise is that the Lord would bless us with all spiritual blessings now. We'll have a foretaste of heaven on earth and then glory thereafter. And you're assured of those blessings, men and women. Those are the blessings that follow keeping the Lord's day holy. Why? Because the Lord has spoken it and he cannot lie. He cannot lie. Someone said this, and with this I close, I just sum it all up. Our great-grandfathers called it the Holy Sabbath. Our grandfathers called it the Sabbath. Our fathers called it Sunday. But today, we just call it the weekend. Isn't that right? Such is the desecration of the Lord's day. Oh, may God give us back the desire to keep it holy. To set it apart as being different from all the rest. To enjoy it. To enjoy its benefits and its blessings for our body, for our soul, for our mind. I trust today that you know the Lord of the Sabbath. That you know Him as your Savior. If not, come now. Know the greatest blessing of all, of your sins forgiven, pardoned through the Savior's blood. Come and know Christ, the Lord of the Sabbath, as your Savior. My Lord bless His word. And I confess it comes as a challenge. Because we've, we've got careless with us as concern. I point the finger at myself before anyone else. But may God bless his word to each of our hearts this morning. For his own name's sake. Amen.